0: We hardly ever say anything about them, but thank you, James, and the worship team for that song. Uh, I can't tell you how much it's a blessing to me, um, the call, particularly during this Christmas season, to come and worship, come and worship Christ, the newborn King. Um, When my wife and I were overseas, that uh, album actually um, was a significant one. We used to... Uh, take some of the songs and sing together in our small group uh home church that we were part of we'd sing that song and and it filled us with with just a a sense of awe and wonder that about the christmas season Um, and uh so thank you james and worship team for doing that i so appreciate you helping us this morning um let me pray for our time together as we look into god's word this morning Oh, Lord, we have come here from the busyness of many things in life. Uh, Some have traveled to come uh, to be here for this holiday uh, weekend. Some have uh, been frantically finishing up last-minute tasks of preparation for family celebrations, for gift-giving, for... um, uh, for various ways in which we recognize and honor this uh, celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. God, I pray now this morning that you would, um, Lord, quiet, Lord, our hearts. Quiet our hearts from all of that busyness, from all of that noise. Um, Lord, that we might, as we just sung, Lord, that we might come and worship you. That we might see you in, all, in your glory. Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with awe and wonder again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you know that I have a uh, great interest in the country of China and in the people of China. Um, my interest in China began when I was at university. Um, I took a class uh, in, uh, in college uh, on Ancient Asian History, I think it was called back then. And uh, I, um, I started reading histories, reading biographies, reading missionary biographies about what God was doing uh, in the country of China in the past. Um, and I was, I was captured. I, I didn't know much about it before I went to college, but I was fascinated. I felt that it was a majestic and complex, mystical and sometimes tragic but wonderful country. And so much so that I ended up majoring in history with a concentration, modern East Asian history, so that I could study China more. Excuse me. Even after I graduated, every couple years, I'd browse through the, uh, the new history section in the barn, local Barnes & Noble to pick up another book on the modern life of this great country and you know, I read all that I could. I tried everything that I could to understand what this great country and what the people of China were like. I even finally had a chance to go there in the, in the year 2000. And so I read travel guides. I, I grabbed my Fromers and, my, and, and I said, I, I want to learn everything that I can about this place. But you know, I really didn't know much about China, really, until... I went there in person. When I went in person and I walked the streets and I ate the food with my friends, when I got to smell the smells and hear the sounds and see the sights of life in China, when I got to understand the hearts of the people that I met there, then with that personal experience, I began to truly understand a little bit Of what China is really like. And what China really is all about. Maybe you felt that way about something. Maybe it's not China. Maybe it's a different country that you've been fascinated by. Maybe it's a person that you've heard of. Maybe it's your grandmother who lives far, far away and you've never met her. And finally you had this experience of actually meeting her. When you see that, you realize how hard it is for us to understand or really know... Something without having a personal encounter, a personal experience with it. Well, how much more true is that of our relationship or our knowledge of God? I remember when I was in high school, I had grown up going to a church, uh, but God was an abstraction to me. He was a a bunch of ideas and maybe a few ethics thrown in there. Um, And it wasn't until in high school, I met some friends and, and they, they had a, had something that I didn't understand. They, they knew God. They prayed to him. They talked to him. They expressed their love for him. They listened to him. They looked for him to lead them. And I didn't understand it. But all I knew is I looked at them and I saw they know something They know God in a way that I don't. And it made me curious. I'd read books about God, but I didn't really know much about God. Just like my experience of China before I went, I couldn't really understand God until I encountered him in person. And this is what makes Christmas so very special. This is what makes Christmas such a rich celebration for Christians. For at Christmas, the question of what God has done for us so that we can have a personal encounter with him is answered. Today we're finishing a series of sermons that we've been doing for a while um, in the book of John. Uh, Chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Pew Bibles to 886, we're looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, And our focus this morning is going to be on verses 14 through 18, but I will read the whole passage just so we get it in context. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What has God done so that we can personally encounter him? I want to ask two questions this morning as we see that what God has done is he has revealed himself. He has made himself known to us. He has come to us. And what I want to ask the question this morning is, one, how did God do that? How did God reveal himself? And then two, what did he say about himself when he did that? So let's look at the text together. Starting in verse 14 is where we're going to start. How did God reveal himself? He revealed himself by becoming human. Now, this is so important to get right because if you have any interest in knowing God and I'm assuming that you're here this morning because at least at some level you have some interest of knowing God, we must know him properly. We must not get caught up in trying to imagine what God must be like or what God could be like or what God should be like in our estimation. God has taken the initiative to show us what he is like by the incredible reality that we see... in the first few words of verse 14... the word became flesh. Now John has been talking about the word... all through verses 1 through 13. Even though we haven't seen it since verse 1... he is the subject of almost every sentence... in verses 1 through 13. And he's saying that he is God. He was with God. He was the creator of all things... He was the light of men and the the life of men and the light of the world. He came to bestow to all who believed in him the right to become the children of God. And yet all of this language up through verse 13 is incredibly abstract, is it not? It's the word and it's life and it's light. These tremendously powerful but ultimately abstract words. And in verse 14, the abstraction becomes intensely concrete. The word becomes flesh. He became a human being, walking among human beings. We, and John the Apostle is saying, we, the first apostles, even John the Baptist who bears witness to him, we have seen him, we've eaten with him, we've touched him. We've been able to see this word, this transcendent word. In real space, time, history, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you all probably know this, but the theological word for this is the incarnation God becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ. Incarnation comes from the Latin. It means "into flesh." It's not very you know, creative, is it? "Into flesh." That's what it, it meant that this God, who was spirit, entered into the flesh of a human being, which is an incredibly short sentence that is an incredibly profound truth. The second person of the Trinity, the word or the son, has taken on human. Form and nature, and so becomes a unique person in history, the God man, Jesus Christ. How are we to express all that this means? Well, we could be here all day. There are huge tomes of theology written about it. Let me read from a confession of the church, of the history of the church. Listen carefully, because the language is really dense. From the London Baptist Convention of 1689, this is what we hear about the incarnation. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he made, that's all qualifying the Son of God, he did "...take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, so that two whole, perfect and distinct natures, one human, one divine, were inseparably joined together in one person." Without conversion, that is, one didn't become the other. Without composition, that is, melding them together. Without confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? This incredibly dense definition is trying to lay the boundaries around this truth... God became a human being. What does that mean? How do we understand this without avoiding the mistakes? Because when we logically press into that, into that formulation, we almost always get it wrong. And church history is littered with people who, in pressing through the logic, got it wrong. But as... One of my seminary professors, D.A. Carson, said recently in a podcast, he said, the second person that Trinity became what he was not, that is, God became human, which he was not before. He did not just indwell the flesh, that is, come and be in it, nor did he put it on as a dress, or did he take the appearance of humanity, nor did he fake being a human, but he actually became a human being. In the de- definition, did you hear it? Two natures in one person. The internal son enfleshed himself. Became flesh. Became present with us. Becomes one with us. In flesh and blood. Why is this theology so important? Some of you are already drooping. You're thinking, okay, what are we doing here? Um, Why is this theology? Because in John, the word made flesh is how we are able to see and therefore know God rightly. This is why verses 17 or 18, or, or verse 18 is there. It says, no one has seen God. You can't see God. But But God who is at the Father's right hand, that is the Son, the Word, he has made God known to us. How has he made God known to us? Because he came and he took on human form so that we could see him. We have beheld him. This is why the Apostle John writes in his first letter, the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. The apostle John says, we've been able to touch God in human form. We've been able to see him. And that is how we know God. That is why there's a reference to John the Baptist being a witness saying, this is the one. Don't look at me. I'm not the one you're looking for. But this one who's coming after me, he's the one you're looking for. Because if you want to know God... He's the one you have to see. Look at him. Look at Jesus. And friends, when we are in those points of life, when we wonder, where is God? What is God doing in my life? How do I know what God looks like? God feels like an abstraction to me. I don't have any sense of knowing. John the Baptist and John the Apostle, And the writers of the New Testament consistently say, look at Jesus. Because Jesus, the word made flesh, is how God has revealed himself to us. Friends, I want you to see how intensely personal this is. Jesus didn't come as a great teacher to give us great thoughts and ideas and descriptions of who God is. Jesus didn't come to give us an ethical system so that we know how to behave in certain ways, in certain situations to try to please God. Jesus didn't come to create rituals and rites so that we could have some mystical spiritual experience. Jesus came so that we could personally encounter God, so that we can know him, This is the significance of the word become flesh. God has come in human form to us. Well, how are we to respond to this? What are we to think of this? Well, I have two thoughts this morning. One is that you may be here this morning and you may be trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about. You may be thinking, how do I know God? I'm not even sure. Well... The word became flesh so that you can know God. And we have incredibly in this book four biographies. Not just one, but four biographies that give us the richness of four different eyewitness accounts. Or records of eyewitness accounts of people who saw the word became flesh. As he was born in a stable. As he grew in stature. As he walked the earth. As he ate fish by the sea of Galilee. You can read in here the story of the reality of God become a person, a human being, so that you can know him. So I urge you, explore these accounts, look at them, read them, because this is where you will know what God is like. The second thought that I have for you is that as I've been thinking about this passage for myself, it's been pretty convicting. I've seen, as I've been thinking about this message this week, how easily my heart and how easily my Christian life becomes a a kind of disembodied application of spiritual principles. I don't know if any of you struggle like I do, but I can just sort of think of, What are the thoughts that I have about God and how should I live my life according to them? And I lose in the midst of it an actual ability to connect with the person of God. And so I have been challenged by this to consider, to consider again that God has called me not just to know him in an intellectual way or to serve him in an active way, but to relate to him as a personal God that I'm. Like my friends that I saw so long ago. That I'm to love him. That I'm to talk with him. That I'm to ask him to lead me. That I'm to relate to him as a person. God comes and reveals himself to us in this intensely personal way. In the incarnation. But then he says something more about himself in the incarnation, does he? Look back in verse 14 with me. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. This is what we are to know most preeminently about God from this passage. That he is a God of grace and truth. And you see it picked up again in verse 17, don't you? He says, The law came through Moses, but in Jesus Christ comes grace and truth. And you might have asked, like I did this week, why Moses? Why does Moses suddenly get dragged into this conversation? Well, there's there's a special place that Moses has in the history of God's work in the world. If you would ask yourself, when did God show up most evidently, most profoundly, most strikingly in history? And you read through the account of the Bible, you would say, well, probably in the account of the deliverance of of Israel from slavery to Egypt and meeting God and meeting Moses on the mountain Sinai. The revelation of God... By giving the law to Moses. And this is the place. And so Moses then takes this place in history of being. He was the guy who was up on the mountain with God. He got to see the revelation of God. As we read in that passage earlier. He spoke with God. As a man speaks to a man in the tent of meeting. He had a a glory in his face that was reflected. Because he was with God. And God gave him the law. God gave him the words of God to bring to God's people and to the world so that people would know who he is and this then is the most extensive revelation of God in the history of the Bible until Jesus for what John is saying is that as great as that revelation was a greater revelation has come a revelation that has fulfilled and explained, and superseded in every way what happened with Moses. This is what he means when he says, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The first grace was the grace of God's revelation to Moses, but the second grace is a greater grace. It's a fuller grace. It's a richer grace that in Jesus Christ we have grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 puts it this way. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, including Moses, but, he, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Moses, in the passage read earlier, pled with God, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory and live. You cannot look on my face and live. But you remember what he says? He says, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by, and I will, I will proclaim who I am to you. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, but visiting iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses could not see the glory of God. He had to be hidden from the glory of God. But God proclaimed himself in his word. And now the word has become flesh. And in Jesus, we have beheld his glory the glory as of the only Son of the Father. Moses was called to speak the words of God to the people, but now God speaks his word to all people. The revelation was no longer mediated, but it was incarnated. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to connect with God, look to Jesus for that is where we have gloriously hit, where he has gloriously revealed himself and this revelation is full of grace and truth grace god's undeserved favor for people like you and me who in our hearts daily reject and refuse god grace given as unmerited love acceptance to his people truth in this context refers to God's faithfulness God will be faithful to his purposes God will come and will redeem a people for himself and when we look for how God will do that we see it's in the person of Jesus Christ if you were to read through the rest of the Gospel of John which I highly recommend it's a great book um, in, ...in the next day or weeks... Um, ...one of the things you would see... ...is that this theme of glory comes up... ...over and over again. Um, in fact, the whole book... ...the first 12 chapters... ...are the acts of Jesus in history... ...as he's doing his ministry... ...and, and it keeps saying over and over again... Uh, ...Jesus keeps saying over and over again... ...my time has not yet come... ...my, my hour is not yet come... ...the hour is not yet come for the Son of Man to be glorified... ...and then in chapter 12... Jesus says, now, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now. And he actually interacts with God the Father and he says, Father, now glorify me. And Father says, I have, I will. And then Jesus says, and now I'm going to die for you. And now I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. And friends, we cannot understand the glory of the word became flesh if we do not see the end of the story. The incarnation is the beginning of something that for God is all one piece. The incarnation and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is the fullness of how we see grace and truth coming to us. The word became flesh so that Jesus could be a deliverer by identifying with us. Think with me for a minute about this. God cannot die because he is the source of life. Man, post-Adam, cannot die for another because he must die for himself Because he's a child of Adam and therefore under death. Jesus, the God-man Jesus, is fully human but not of Adam so that he might identify with us so that he can die for us. Do you see how important the incarnation is? God can't die. Man can't die for someone else. Only a God-man could come and die in our place for our sins. And this is the glory of the incarnation. This is what John wants us to see. This is how the light comes into the world so that by believing in him we might become children of God. And this at Christmas or this brings us full circle. God's self-disclosure, his revelation in the end is an intensely personal one. So we can talk about having a personal relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ because the word became flesh and displayed his glory through his life and his death and his resurrection so that we could know God. So because the word became flesh, we can celebrate Christmas, I hope, a little bit more richly this year. I have three thoughts in closing, three ways that I think this will change my Christmas celebration this year. The first thing is that in the incarnation, Jesus identified with me so that he could die for me. Um. The same album from that, that, that version of Come and Worship that we sang a little earlier. There's a great song in there. Talks about the angels sitting in heaven watching the baby Jesus being born and saying, and, and the angels filled the sky and, and they wondered why, why this baby would be born to die. Why would he come to die for me? And so the first thing that this Christmas will be special for, for me, is that I pray that I would be renewed in my wonder, that Jesus became flesh so that he could die for me. The second implication, which we haven't explored theologically much this morning, but that Jesus entered, Jesus became flesh so that he could identify with us in suffering and in grief. I know there are some of you this morning for whom Christmas is an intensely hard time, whether it's because of past losses or because of present trials or suffering. What a good news it is that our Savior is someone who took on flesh and blood so that He can empathize with us because He understands He has suffered just as we have. So He is able to bring us comfort. And so we look to this Savior, not simply crying out, God, why did it have to be this way? But God, thank you that you know. Thank you that you took on the pain of grief and trial for me. So that's the second way in which the incarnation will change my celebration of Christmas this year. And thirdly... The incarnation reminds me that Jesus came as a person so that I can know God personally. It challenges me to not be satisfied with simply having correct theology. It challenges me with not being satisfied with simply being a relatively good Christian in my morality and in my ethics. It challenges me to not simply go through the motions, the rituals of church life, of private devotions, It challenges me to meet with God and to encounter him in Jesus Christ because God came not as an idea or a message, but ultimately the word became flesh so that I could relate to him as a person. He wants me to engage with all of my affective being, my my will, my emotions, my mind, my heart, my hands. All that I am is meant to be engaged with God as a personal God. And that's why my prayer is that as these truths come home to me and to you, that we will worship. And we will worship with joy this Christmas. Listen to the the song, to the words of a well-known hymn as I close. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, laid in tide. behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, Let's pray. God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with this song of worship this morning. That as we see what you have done for us in the word becoming flesh, God, that you would richly, richly deepen our worship. That we would see what a wonderful thing you have done for us in Christ. Lord, that you would move us Lord, move us out of cold ritualism. Move us out of skepticism. Move us out of uh, the places of distance from you. Draw us near, God, that we may see you personally. That we may know you personally. That we may be redeemed by you personally this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.